you have to be seated. Good to be back. Mark Manning, Searchlight Ministries, talking about the most exciting book in the Bible, the book of Judges. We got left-handed assassins stabbing fat kings on toilets. Uh, we've got people making uh, God's math not working out right with Gideon and his uh, selection of how bad things happen. And then we get to what I dare might say is probably the most difficult judge to reconcile. One of the most unnerving stories in all of scripture. I had the opportunity to go a totally different direction, choose a different judge and just simply play it safe. But that's not how I like to do things. I like to tackle these tough things. And I'll tell you at the end of this reading, you're probably going to be thinking, why did he choose it? I'm probably going to be thinking the same thing. Judges chapter 11 talks about a guy, his name is Jephthah, and uh, he's notorious for making a rash and manipulative vow to God. Before we condemn him too much, of course, you're going to have to ask the same question of yourself. Do you ever make manipulative or rash vows to God? Do we make vows to God at all? Or do we simply play it safe and never make any vows whatsoever? Jephthah was one who made a vow that has been questioned throughout the centuries. Uh, Much ink has been spilled. In fact, just this morning, I was decided to go through some of the most recent literature that's out there, scholarly literature, and what they thought about it. And after reading about six different articles with six different conclusions, I found out that I'm probably no closer to a great thought than I was before. Jephthah, I'm going to be in Judges 11, and I'm going to be starting verse 29. Good, you got your Bibles. It's always good because pastors, you know, need to be checked up on every now and then, make sure we're actually reading the text, not slipping in weird things. Important. There's a whole history behind Jephthah to begin with. A quick thing, he, he, he wasn't very well loved by his family. He had kind of a checkered past. He was not the most ideal person to be raised up as a judge. But God is in the habit of raising up people who are flawed and imperfect, and I am quite grateful that he does. Verse 29, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah across Gilead, and Manasseh passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me, When I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. We might say that Jephthah is one fry short of a happy meal to be able to make such a vow like this. I'm not too sure. What was Jephthah hoping was going to come out of his house? Did he have troubles in his marriage? And hopefully this is one way to dispatch his wife. Uh, Could it be that He lived with his mother-in-law. And this might be a great way to get rid of someone who is a thorn in his flesh. We know from later on that there is only one other person living in that house that is a offspring of Jephthah, his daughter. Maybe he was hoping it was the family cats. I personally hate cats. I think they are of the devil. Just Google that and you can see lots of videos that prove that. Jephthah, I'm not too sure what he's thinking, but 
First of all, we know from this vow is that uh, he doesn't need to make it. God had already promised that he was going to have victory, but to almost provide insurance or to uh, maybe manipulate God into keeping his end of the bargain, uh, Jephthah decides to make this vow. Big mistake. But it's something that I think we do ourselves, do we not? We get into a jam. We did not study for Mrs. uh, Schulteis's math exam. And because of that, we are walking in blinds. And we might say something rash like, Dear Lord, if you can please see me fit to get through this with a relatively good grade, I will promise you I will always study before a test again. Has anyone ever done that? Don't raise your hand. Oh, don't raise your hand. Just don't do it, man. I'm serious. Yeah, it's a bad, it's a bad move. We do that also in relationships. God, I'm so lonely. If only you would send me a girl so that my life can be finally fulfilled. If you do that, I will not ask for anything ever again. I hear that out of my kids. Dad, we need another animal in the house. And I go, no. And they go, please. I go, no, please. We'll take care of it. We'll feed it. I'm like, you're not taking care and feeding the animals. We already have. Dad, if you do this, we will never ask for another thing ever again. I almost want it written down, notarized, brought before a court so that I can show them later on when they ask for me to pay for weddings that I could say, I never have to pay for another thing for you. But alas, I think that probably might be the wrong way to go. We make vows... Sometimes they're a little more serious. We try to manipulate God. Maybe we haven't been to church in a while and you're feeling a little guilty and you're like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and show God how good I am. I think I'm going to show up to church and, and that'll make me feel good. And I'll show to God that I still have a relation. As if God's up there wondering, with a check me like, where have they been? Oh, they're back in church. Oh, wonderful. Praise me. They're glad, I'm glad they're here. Uh, thank you for coming. Now I know that you're really serious about your faith. We do it in small and subtle ways. Jephthah did it in a very large, rash way. And now we have to see what actually happens. Uh, verse 32, Jephthah went and fight the Ammonites. The Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aror to the vicinity of Mineth. As far as Abel Karamim, thus Israel subdued Ammon. So uh, thankfully uh, it worked, but now we're in trouble because verse 34 reads, When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter dancing to the sound of tambourines in this victorious Thing much like the Israelite nation as they were uh, victorious uh, in coming out of Egypt singing with tambourines. Uh, here she comes out, thankful that daddy is home. Text reads, she was an only child. If you don't know what that means, the Hebrew goes on to explain, except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Isn't that great? He makes the dumb vow. She comes out celebrating that he's home, and he blames her. I love this guy. It's a train wreck. You thought your parents were abusive and mean. Yeah. I'm going to preach this one day for a Father's Day sermon. I think this would be fabulous. Yeah. Compare your father to Jephthah. He's going to come out smelling like roses. 
Verse 36. Now, of course, if you were Jephthah's daughter, what would you say right then? You would say, would all daughters say, but maybe not even say any, anything at all. Just simply do your patented eye rolling. Can you do that? Not this girl. Verse 36, my father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord due to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. So she says, okay, pop, this sounds like, you know, you made a vow. You better keep the vow. And so just give me two months. I'm going to go and hang out with my friends out in the forest. And we're going to weep and cry. And then you could kill me. Isn't this a great story? I love this story. It makes me so uncomfortable. Verse 38, you may go, well, thank you, Jephthah, for being so kind. I would have loved if you had said, no. (laughs) You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father And he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadites. Um, The question that always gets raised when we study Jephthah is, did it actually happen? Did Jephthah take his daughter, put her on a big giant stone slab and either stab her so that she's dead and then light her on fire or just light her on fire from the get-go and have her be burned alive because the idea behind the offering that was to be given was it was supposed to be what's called a holocaust, a full, complete burning up of whatever is being offered. And if that's the case, where's God? Why is he not saying this is a bad idea? Is God in favor of child sacrifice? And what do we do with this text that seems to lift up Jephthah? Especially later on in the book of Hebrews, it gets even more complicated because Jephthah is listed in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. He's lifted up as one of the good guys that did great things. I didn't know that burning children was something that was honored by God. I am inclined, though not completely persuaded, that there is wiggle room in the text, that it is possible that Jephthah does not kill his daughter. The text has enough wiggle room that has caused people over the centuries to debate whether or not she actually died. The room is in there that uh, God has always said that firstborn children belong to him, but they can be redeemed. There's also tons of evidence in the Old Testament that says God hates child sacrifices. They were supposed to be different than the people around them that actually did perform child sacrifices. And there also seems to be this thing that it doesn't actually say that he killed her. It just said that he did what she wanted. Also, it seems weird that she's constantly focused on the fact that she's never going to marry. If your dad came to you tonight and said, I think I'm going to kill you because I made a vow to the Lord. Well, the first thing you start weeping about is the fact that you never got married. That seems a little strange. And in fact, it's actually not even that I got married. She kept lamenting the fact that she was going to be a virgin. So it has led some people to believe that what is really happening here is that she was going to be cloistered away, room built, offered up to the temple, and she was going to have to serve out her life as a servant of God. And in that particular role, she would never actually marry. 
I'm thankful for that. It eases my, my thoughts a little bit. It's not the, the cleanest interpretation, but at least there is some wiggle room. But of course, the question still remains, what do we do about someone like Jephthah, and what do we do about vows? Are vows a good thing, and should we make them? Do we make rash vows? Do we cry out like Martin Luther did in the storm? Lord, if you save me, I will serve you and follow you and give my life over to you. Is God pleased with things like that? Sometimes I think we get ourselves into trouble because we make vows, and then we do uh, gymnastics in order to get out of the very vow we make. You haven't done it yet. Uh, Maybe some of you have. You've decided to make a vow before God and before groomsmen and bridesmaids, making a vow that you were going to love someone for the rest of your life. You were going to stay with them for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death parts you. And people will fail to get out of that vow. Some people say, I'll make a vow and turn my life over to you. But through circumstances, God uh, has other leanings. And you say, well, gosh, I made this vow. Should I keep it? It seems like God's directing me in another way. What do I do? The one thing that is certain in this is the one, one thing that is honored is that Jephthah keeps his vow, whether right or wrong. He was a man of his word. When he said he was going to do something, he did it and did it full force. It's very similar in language to the Genesis 22 account when God asks a man to sacrifice his son, his only son. Which, of course, leads us all to consider the fact that aren't we glad that when God makes a promise, he ultimately keeps it, even if it means the sacrifice of his own child, the sacrifice of that was no less brutal than a holocaust, a sacrifice that led to the death of his only begotten son. What do we learn from something like this? Well, as I was sharing with uh, Pastor Quentin before I came up, I have a feeling that this text is going to raise more questions than it does answers. It's not the cleanest text around. It's not the most comfortable text around. What it does always highlight is what Jesus said it was going to highlight, which was going to point to him, point to his love and his grace and his mercy, ultimately his sacrifice, his willingness like a daughter to say to dad, it's okay, you made this vow, we're going to keep this vow. There's going to be no wiggle room to the right or the left for me to get out of this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to lay down my life willfully for the people that we love, dear Father. Because these people need to know that there is a God who will never break his vow or his promise. And that's the promise he makes to you for your salvation. And the promise to always be with you, whatever happens in life. Jephthah keeps his vow. Others have debated whether or not he should have kept his vow. But really, it doesn't actually matter because ultimately, God is the one who's going to receive the glory.